Hey doll. Hey doll. I'm your host Paula. And I'm your host Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and Doom. Okay, Paula. Today's case is very, very special to me. So I've mentioned before that each case we cover begins to feel really personal, right? Yes, definitely. Today's case took this feeling to a whole new level for me. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Geneva Verniel Adams. So a couple of weeks ago, one of our listeners wrote in and she told me I could use her first name. It's Legesta. And isn't that a cool name? She said her mom made it up. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. You want to hear something else cool? Yes. Her mom's name is also Paula. No way. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Okay, so Legesta sent us an email with a case suggestion. And this case is really important to her and her family, as it's the story of Legesta's great-grandmother, her mother Paula's grandmother. Now, sadly, Legesta never got to meet her great-grandmother, and the last time Paula ever saw her, Paula was only 14 years old. But the stories and the memories of this obviously incredible woman are still being told 45 years later. And this family is hoping with everything in them that one day they will find the answers that they have been searching for for so long. So Geneva was born on December 5th, 1922. So she was a Sagittarius, which just happens to be my favorite sign ever. (laughs) Uh, She was born in Arkansas and she later moved to Missouri. And as an adult, Geneva got married and had 10 children. Stop it. With her husband. Oh my gosh. Cannot even imagine. I literally don't know how a person does that. I don't either. Sadly, in 1969, her husband died of cancer. So at only 47 years old, Geneva became a widow and a single mother, taking care of 10 children. children. She's a superwoman. Seriously. Well, in order to support such a large family, Geneva worked at different factories and some nursing homes, you know, throughout the years. Geneva did end up remarrying after her husband's death, but that marriage didn't last very long and ultimately ended in divorce. Now, Geneva really seemed to have her priorities in check. She took great care of her family. She was really devoted to her church. She wasn't into partying or being reckless. She never really went out. She rarely ever drank. But she did love to dance. So on July 24th, 1976, 53-year-old Geneva had plans to go out for the evening. Now at this point, All of her children were grown up and no longer living with her, except for the two youngest, Steve, who was 17, and Billy, who was 12. So on this evening, Steve was home getting ready to go work his shift at a local restaurant, and he would later remember that his mom was in a great mood. She was really excited for this night out just to let loose and have fun. And after having raised eight children into adulthood, and still having two at home, I can imagine that she must have been ready for a night for herself. Absolutely, and it's so deserved. Oh my goodness, (laughs) so deserved. So Geneva called her daughter Sheila, who was in her 20s, 
and she asked Sheila to give her a ride to the Artisan Lounge, which was in the nearby town of Herculaneum. Now, from what I've read, the Artisan Lounge did have a reputation of being a pretty rough environment. It seems like it was no stranger to drunk, rowdy clientele who often enjoyed a good bar fight. In fact, just two years prior, one of the owners of the lounge was actually shot to death inside the club. Oh my gosh. Right. So according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, 41-year-old Lewis Hasty, who is operator and part owner of the Artisan Lounge nightclub, left the club shortly after the 1.30 a.m. closing time, and he headed to a nearby restaurant. Now, he came back about two hours later with a woman who was a bartender at the club, and this woman would later report that an armed man was waiting inside the club with a pistol when they returned. She said that the assailant tied her hands behind her back and then forced Hasty into a utility room where he shot him in the arm and in the head. The woman, with her hands still tied, escaped by forcing herself through a window and then running to a nearby home and asking the occupants to call the police. When the police arrived, the cash register was open and Hasty's brother said that a large amount of cash was missing. The woman was never publicly identified, but it was confirmed that she was sexually assaulted during the attack. So, this club has a history of violence. Definitely. So two years after that incident, on the night our story takes place, Geneva and Sheila arrive at the Artisan Lounge at some point before midnight. There are some conflicting reports as to what exactly happened on this night, specifically as to whether or not Geneva had plans to meet someone at the bar. Like some say she did have plans to meet up with a man for a date, while others say that she had just wanted to spend some time with her daughter for a night out. I'm leaning towards her having had plans to meet up with this man. That seems to me to be the more accurate scenario. And it also seems like maybe Sheila wasn't really planning on staying out. I think she might have like gone into the club for a bit, but I think she was there mainly just to drop her mom off. From what I read, there are a few conflicting reports, but I think that's the more accurate version. Okay. Either way, while they're out, presumably having a great time, Geneva met up with a man named Jimmy Lee Mills. Now, Jimmy was 20 years younger than Geneva. He was only 33 years old, but to anyone watching, the couple seemed to hit it off immediately, and witnesses reported that Geneva and Jimmy spent most of the night dancing and seemingly having a great time together. So as the night went on, whether it was early in the night or, you know, if they'd been there for a while, Sheila got to the point where she she was getting tired, she's ready to go home. So she told her mom she was ready to go, and Geneva was still having a great time. She wanted to stay and keep hanging out with Jimmy. Now, I've been in this exact situation before. (laughs) I've been that girl who met someone and my friends are ready to go and I'm having a blast. I want to stay and hang out. So I get this scenario. That's the problem when you share a ride. Right. That's why I eventually just drove myself no matter how much of a pain it was. Right. You have the freedom to come and go. That's right. I can leave when I want. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Jimmy told Sheila, you know what? Don't worry about her. 
I'll give her a ride, you know? I'll make sure she gets home. So Sheila left, and Geneva stayed at the bar with Jimmy. The next morning, when Steve woke up, something just didn't seem right. First of all, the house was totally quiet. There was no hot breakfast prepared, and there was no coffee brewing, which was an immediate red flag because Geneva loved her coffee. So Steve peeked into his mother's bedroom, and he could see that her bed had not been slept in. He's immediately worried, obviously, and he calls his sister Sheila, and now they're both in a panic. Uh Uh-oh. So this was absolutely not typical behavior of Geneva. This was not her at all. So they immediately go into action to see if they could track down this Jimmy guy who'd promised to make sure Geneva made it home safely. So they called the Artisan Lounge, and they learned that Jimmy was a regular at the bar. He was a mechanic, and he was also a bus driver for the Festus School District. In fact, he actually drove Geneva's youngest son, Billy, to and from school every day. Now, I wasn't able to verify whether or not Jimmy and Geneva knew that Jimmy drove Billy's school bus, but I did think that was an interesting connection. And I also thought, you know, if they had planned on meeting up the night before, like I I think they did, this might have been how they had known each other. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. So the bartenders from the night before told Sheila and Steve that Geneva and Jimmy had left the bar together around 1 a.m., So Geneva's family immediately went straight into action. I mean, you want them on your side. (laughs) They were actually able to track Jimmy down to the point of driving to the trailer where he lived. Oh, wow. That's great. Right. The day after she went missing. And when they got there, Jimmy was outside cleaning out the trunk of his car with a water hose. Uh Uh-oh. That's not normal. It's worrisome. So Jimmy said that he and Geneva left the bar after it closed and he drove her in his Cadillac to a different bar located in East St. Louis, which was about 40 miles away. Jimmy said that when they got there, the bar was closed, so they turned around and headed back. Jimmy then said that he dropped Geneva off at a donut shop on Highway 61 in Crystal City around 4 a.m., and he said that was the last he saw her. Okay, I have to stop you. That's not making sure she gets home safely. Absolutely not. First of all, I don't know why anyone would want to go... Well, I do understand why you would want to go to a donut shop at 4 a.m. after a night out. But you get your donut, you get back in the car and let him drive you home. Right. Not to be sexist, because I'm not, but I do believe sometimes women are more vulnerable than men. Let's just be honest. If a man agrees to make sure you make it home safely, a man doesn't just drop you off somewhere without a ride at 4 a.m. Right. Even if she's like, no, I'm fine. No, I promise to get you home. I'm taking you home. Get in the car. Right. I wouldn't drop you off somewhere at 4 a.m. I'm making sure you make it right. home safe. Same, same. Yeah. So major red flags. and Major. Those were red flags to her family, too. Okay. So Geneva's family was absolutely distraught, of course, and they immediately filed a missing persons report with the Herculaneum Police Department. And since he was the last person seen with Geneva, the police were quick to question Jimmy. But he told them the exact same thing, that the two of them had left the bar driven to another bar, come back, and then he left her at a donut shop. The strange thing, though, was that no one actually saw Geneva anywhere 
after she left the artisan lounge. So Geneva's family, who were already completely panicked, felt that panic turn to absolute dread when they learned more about Jimmy Mills. Uh Uh-oh. Here we go. So, Cynthia, I know technically we're still in the middle of summer, but true Halloween fans know it's time to start thinking about our favorite time of year. That's right, you're reading my mind. It is never too early to plan your Halloween costume. And this year, I'm going to be using McCabe's costumes. They're the best. They're a family-owned company, which is amazing because I love to support other small businesses. Me too. And they have high-quality costumes that ship right to your door. You know what else is great about McCabe's costumes? Not only do they have an amazing costume selection, they also carry super fun leggings, which is perfect because a lot of us are still working from home and we just want to feel comfortable, right? That's right. I love wearing cute leggings around the house or in the recording studio because not only am I super comfy, but I also really look cute. And McCabe's carries leggings with all kinds of super fun prints. I especially like the Hocus Pocus print, which has these adorable vintage style witches and pumpkins and ghosts all over them. That print totally has this Dolls and Doom retro vibe that you and I love. Yes, and the best part is you can do all of your shopping online and have your costume or comfy festive clothing and accessories delivered right to your door. Girl, you gotta love that. After this last year, I want everything delivered right to my front door. I know, me too. And right now, McCabe's is running a special offer for Dolls and Doom listeners. Just use the code DOLLS10 for 10% off your purchase. McCabe's Costumes also offers free shipping on orders over $35. Polly, you know what I love most about McCabe's Costumes? They actually give back to the community. They donate costumes to kids in need who would otherwise not have access to one. And if you, our listener, would like to participate in this awesome cause, you can make a donation directly on the website. Just hit the donate button right on the homepage and you can donate $30, which McCabe's costumes will then match. They match every single donation received. So with your $30 donation, two kids who would not have access to a costume will get one. And this year McCabe's also supported autism causes and their local Shriners Club. I love this so much. Not only are you buying something amazing for yourself, but you are giving back. What other costume shop does that? Exactly. So shop for your costumes or festive wear at McCabe's Costumes and feel good about making the world a happier place at the same time. Go right now and get your Halloween costume, festival wear, or comfy leggings at McCabe'sCostumes.com. That's M-C-C-A-B-E-S Costumes.com. So Geneva's family learned that three years earlier, in 1973, Jimmy Mills was charged with the attempted rape of a 20-year-old woman in Cape Garadoux, Missouri. And according to reports, he threatened this woman with a hunting knife and a loaded gun. He was convicted of this crime, but served less than a year in prison. Oh my gosh. For the attempted rape with a knife and a gun. That is ridiculous. It ticks me off so much. Yeah, me too. Oh, just wait. Oh, no. Just wait. Okay. We'll be fuming by the end of this. Great. 
Okay, so they also learned that just five weeks before Geneva disappeared, Jimmy Mills was charged with the rape of a 16-year-old hitchhiker (gasps) in nearby Jefferson County. And the night he met Geneva, he was actually out on bail. Oh, my gosh. Now, Jimmy was convicted of this crime, but he would end up only serving two years probation for raping a 16-year-old. How is this possible? LaJessa said that he was buddy-buddy with the sheriff. Okay. So I don't know how that may or may not have played into this. Mm -hmm. But I will say he gets lucky an awful lot. Do with that information what you will. Right. Something else I thought of, this guy's a school bus driver. Right. He's around children. And he's raping 16-year-olds. Things were different back in the 70s. I like to think that we would not allow that now. Okay, so later in 1981... Jimmy Mills was convicted of receiving stolen property, and in 1982, he was convicted of escaping confinement. In July 1985, Mills became the number one person of interest in another missing woman's case. Now, her name was Cynthia Horan, and she lived in an apartment building that shared a kitchen and a bathroom with Jimmy Mills. Weird and horrible. So one day, Cynthia's boyfriend tried to pick her up for a date, but Cynthia didn't answer the door. She still wasn't responding the next morning, even though her car was parked in her spot, so he notified the police. Her keys were still in her apartment. Her bank accounts were untouched. All of her close friends and family were interviewed, but everyone seemed to be in the clear until authorities got to her next door neighbor, Jimmy Mills. Now, the 71-year-old woman who lived directly below Jimmy told police that at 1.30 in the morning, on the night Cynthia disappeared, she heard what sounded like running around, like a chase, in the apartment above her, and a woman yelling, help, help, help. But she just brushed the noises off, as if someone was just joking around. But then she said she heard the same thing again two hours later, but again, just brushed it off. Authorities found rolls of electrician's tape, a razor, two butcher knives, and gloves in Mills' apartment, and the tape had hair stuck to it. But this hair was later determined to not be human, and the remaining items revealed no blood, and therefore they were all discarded. Three years later, a hiker found a shallow grave containing the skeleton of a young woman and a forensic anthropologist built a clay model of the girl's face, and the remains were determined to have belonged to a missing woman named Julie Adams, who has no relation to Geneva Adams. Okay. But Julie's mom always felt in her heart that these remains were not her daughter's. And on a whim, authorities compared DNA from the remains to Cynthia Horan's brother, and it was a match. So Cynthia Horan, Jimmy Mills' next-door neighbor who shared a bathroom and a kitchen with him, went missing and then was found dead. So I say, where there is smoke, there is fire. Definitely. In October of 1985, one of Jimmy's female relatives reported to police that she had been raped by Jimmy after he'd offered her $50 to have consensual sex with him and she refused. Now, this woman did later drop these charges and has refused to speak to police or reporters since then. Okay, what happened to make her do that? Right, I can only imagine. 
So in 2010, Mills did finally go to prison on a weapons charge, and he was incarcerated in North Carolina. During this incarceration, Jimmy was interviewed by authorities several times, but he always refused to talk about the night that Geneva disappeared. He was released in August of 2019, and his last known address was in Indianapolis. He's now in his 70s. So police chief Mark Tolgetsky, who had been assigned to Geneva's case initially, said that, quote, Jimmy Mills has always been and still is our number one person of interest in this case, but without a body, we have not been able to charge him, end quote. The last person ever seen with Geneva was this animal. I mean, in my opinion, he's looking pretty good for yeah. it, right? Yeah. Obviously violent. He's been accused of rape or attempted rape three different times that we know of. Yeah. His roommate gets murdered. He's and then he's the last person to see her. Yeah. It just makes sense. Right. Well, six weeks after Geneva went missing, on September 4th, 1976, at about 11 p.m., a man walked into a convenience store in Washington Park, Illinois, which is about 40 miles away where Geneva was last seen. And this man told the station attendant to call the police because he had just discovered a nude, decomposing body of a woman in the heavily wooded area right next to the convenience store. This man then left before the police arrived. Now, this body was taken to Castley Funeral Home in Fairview Heights, Illinois, and an autopsy was conducted. And according to the Belleville News Democrat, the inquest records stated that the body appeared to have been in that spot for about three weeks. This woman was estimated to be between 25 and 55 years old. She had a petite frame and auburn hair, and her hair was pulled back into a ponytail. She had dentures as upper teeth, and the woman was wearing no jewelry, and no personal items were found anywhere near her body. Unfortunately, her body was too badly decomposed to be able to determine a cause of death, but the state pathologist x-ray report did not indicate that there were any gunshot wounds found or any other marks of violence. And sadly, no matter how hard they tried, the police were not able to identify this woman. So she was buried in an unmarked grave as Jane Doe in Greenwood Cemetery in Fairview Heights, Illinois. Forty years later, in 2014, an Illinois state police sergeant was working to identify cold case remains when he ran Jane Doe's information through a database and got a possible match. Geneva Adams. Wow, that's incredible. 40 years later. 40 years later. That makes it even more incredible. So Geneva's family and police chief, Mark Tolgetsky, were notified of this possible match. After being given a description and then shown pictures of the body of Jane Doe, Steve was positive that he was looking at his mother. He was also pretty shocked that this connection had not been made earlier. You see, Geneva went missing in Missouri and Jane Doe is found in Illinois. And Chief Tolgetsky explained to Dateline that missing person cases were handled differently back then in the 70s and that there was a lot less communication between agencies back then. That makes sense. Right. But I feel like that's still kind of the case once in a while. I, I do too. I, I absolutely still feel like this is a problem. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand it because how hard is it? 
I mean, I really, I don't know the answer. I'm actually asking, how hard is it to share information right. just on a national level? Right. They do it on TV, like in movies and, and TV shows. This county will call that county. Hey, just be on the lookout for this. If you have any information, we'll help you out. You help us out. If they can do it for TV, they can do it for real life people. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so there is something interesting to note. The area where Jane Doe was found was pretty close to the bars in St. Louis that Jimmy said he and Geneva drove to the night she went missing. And then I personally wonder who this man was 40 years earlier who found this body of Jane Doe. It makes me wonder if maybe he was somehow involved in Jane Doe or the other logical explanation could be maybe he wasn't involved in her death, but maybe he had a warrant. He had some reason right. for not wanting to. He had to, a shady past and didn't right. want to have a conversation with the cops. Part of me really wonders if there was, you know, more to his story than he told. After Jane Doe was possibly linked to Geneva Adams, it still took another four years for investigators to obtain an executive order to exhume Jane Doe's body. Oh my gosh, and that's just paperwork. Can you imagine her poor family? That is ridiculous. So after she's exhumed, they'll finally be able to run the test to confirm whether or not this is actually Geneva Adams. Right. So in an effort to exhume Jane Doe, investigators gathered information from the coroner's office, from the Castley Funeral Home, and from the family that managed the cemetery so that they could determine the resting place of Jane Doe. And this was determined to be Lot 77, Grave Number 1, Section B. So finally, Geneva's family felt some hope. They were afraid, you know, after all these years to feel hope, but how right. could you not? Right. Maybe they would finally get some closure. So with bated breath, Geneva's family waited as investigators dug four feet into the plot where Jane Doe was buried. But as they dug, the only thing they found was a casket handle. Now this didn't make any sense. Where was the casket? Right. So workers actually like got down into the hole and started using rods to poke around to find the metal of this buried casket. They found nothing. Jane Doe was not buried here. What? All digging was stopped immediately since something was very obviously wrong and they didn't want to disturb any other nearby graves. Right. But that was it. We have no Jane Doe and we have no answers. So Chief Tolgetsky said, quote, I'm 99% sure that Geneva is buried in that cemetery, but without a better lead on where her body is, we just can't dig up the entire area, end quote. Okay, so this is where I can go down a rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. The most innocent explanation for Jane Doe not being buried, where her records show that she was buried, is just that the records were wrong. That's still pretty disturbing. Yes. I get it. We all make mistakes. That's a huge mistake to make. You don't know where you buried a human being. Right. I would be ticked if I found out that the grave I believed my loved one to be buried in did not actually Right. You just hold lost them. my relative. How does that happen? My mind just like starts wondering, do they just not care where she's buried because it was a Jane Doe? So they just made something up for the records. She's Jane Doe. Nobody's going to care. And if that's what they did, that's awful. Right. But in the scheme of things, like, how often is someone exhumed? 
I can see that if they did do this, just a lack of care, chances are you're not going to get caught. It's probably pretty rare to exhume a body, but, you know, I have to question, do John and Jane Doe's not get the same level of care as other people do? Or are they this careless with everyone? I just have so many questions. And I cannot even imagine what Geneva's family must be feeling. They were finally going to have the smallest shred of closure. And it wasn't even real closure. They still wouldn't know what happened to her that night. They still don't know how she would have died, who did it. Although I think we all know who did it. Pretty sure it's Jimmy. Right. But this was literally just going to confirm that it was in fact her after 40 years. Yeah. At least tell us that. Right. But nothing. She wasn't there. And that's it. There's no further digging. No more answers. So I asked LaJesta, in your heart, do you think Jane Doe was your great-grandmother? And she said that yes, she believed that was her. She also said that her family believes that Jimmy Wells killed Geneva. And at this point, they are just hoping that he will make a deathbed confession and at least admit where he left her body. Now, LaJesta wrote a letter to, to Jimmy Mills while he was in prison on that weapons charge just to see if maybe he would tell her anything. Right, it's worth a shot. Right. Would he give her any kind of answer? But she got no response. And I think that says a lot. I do too. I know it's hard to put yourself in that mindset, but I would think that if I got a letter from a victim's family member asking for answers about their loved one and I was truly innocent, I think I would respond and tell the truth. Right. I would feel sadness for this family and for their loss But I would want the opportunity to genuinely say, hey, I am sorry for what happened to you, but I am not responsible. But again, Jimmy didn't bother responding at all. And we know he had time. He's in prison. He had time. Yeah, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, but he just didn't. I'm going to leave you with these words from Paula, LaJesta's mom and Geneva's granddaughter. And she says of Geneva, quote, She was always smiling or laughing. She took care of my brother and I when we'd go up for the holidays. But the last time I saw her was the weekend before she disappeared. She wanted me to show her how to do her hair and her makeup, which I did, even her nails too. She was so excited about going on this date. I have always regretted helping her because I feel like if I didn't show her how to make her look good, she would still be here. The guilt overpowers me at times. I was just 14, and I felt hopeless because I lived in a different state and was still in school. I couldn't go help in the search for her. All I could do was wait by the phone, waiting for that call that never came. I'm 59 now and still pray that someone, anyone, will come forward or confess. I just want to put her to rest properly. I know I'll never have complete closure, but at least I'll have somewhere to mourn over her. It's been too long. It's time now for the answers we've so longed for end quote oh that is so heartbreaking i can't read it without tearing up i know at the time of her disappearance geneva was described as being approximately five foot to five foot two inches tall she weighed between 110 to 120 pounds with reddish brown hair and brown eyes it is possible that she may have had a scar indicative of gallbladder surgery She was last seen wearing a blue tank top with the design on the front and blue pants made of a thin material. If you have any information about Geneva Adams or the Jane Doe in this case, 
please contact the Herculaneum Police Department at 636-479-4791. And I just want to thank Geneva Adams' family for allowing us to tell Geneva's story. Thank you for trusting us with this case, and I hope we did it justice. And I am hoping and praying that one day very soon you get some answers. Yes, our hearts go out to your whole entire family. Absolutely. So that's the case of Geneva Adams. So I have a little something for our time to kill segment. Okay, all right. Bring me up because I'm real down right now. (laughs) Well, these aren't exactly happy stories. Oh, no. Because when I was doing research for the Poltergeist episode, I saw other articles about celebrity deaths. And, you know, it just takes one click and a million things come up. And I stumbled into a bit of a rabbit hole. Okay. So some of these you may know about and some you may not. It was really hard to pick which ones to share. I mean, the list goes on and on of amazing actors and musical artists that we lost. Right. I started the list with the ones that surprised me or the ones I didn't know about. For example, last October, I watched Hubie Halloween and during the end credits, Adam Sandler had dedicated it to the memory of Cameron Bryce. I had to look him up on IMDb because I didn't know him by his name. But when I saw his face, I knew him instantly. His early work was on the Disney Channel in the series Jesse and then Descendants. But I knew him from the Adam Sandler movies Grown Ups 1 and 2. He played Adam's son. So the dedication made perfect sense. Cameron passed away in his sleep. He suffered an epileptic seizure. He was only 20 years old. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Boyce had originally been cast as the bully in Hubie Halloween, but sadly passed away just a couple of days before he was supposed to begin shooting. Adam also said that Cameron was good to his family. He went to his daughter's bat mitzvah, and the girls kept coming up to him, and he kept giving them autographs and taking pictures with all of them, so just an all-around good kid. Oh, he sounds like a cool guy. Another one I didn't know about was Houston Tumlin. Does that sound familiar? Mm, No. It didn't to me either. So again, I went to IMDb, one of my favorite things to do. I looked him up, and he is probably best known as the older son of Will Ferrell in the movie The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Okay, full disclosure. Yes. I've never seen that movie. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. I love to quote it. See, I don't think that's my type of humor. I've tried. Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell, it's just not my type of humor. But they're very talented. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, Houston's one acting credit is this movie. When he was older, he went into the Army for six years. Oh, wow. He served as an E-14 specialist in the 101st Airborne Division, earning honors such as an Army Achievement Medal, the National Defense Service Medal, the Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, and Air Assault Wings. Clearly, he was a hero. Absolutely. But when he got home, he suffered from PTSD and depression. He died by suicide, a single gunshot to the head. He was 28 years old. Now that's heartbreaking. As the wife of a war veteran, these these men and women see terrible things. Right. My husband, he sees a lot of stuff on a daily basis now with what he does, and he'll come home and tell me all that to the point where I have to be like, please don't tell me. He does not talk about what he saw over there. And this is someone who sees a lot. So I cannot even imagine what these people see. And it's so sad to me that, you know, they give their life as heroes. Right. They risk their life. And then 
come here and have to live with live with the reminders, the dark reminders of right people strong enough to defend our country. It just takes such a strong person, but it can take such a toll mentally. That's that's so sad. I hate that. I know, me too. Now you know I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I do know that. So these next two hit really close to home for me. I think everyone knows the amazing talents of Alan Rickman, the beloved actor known for Sense and Sensibility, of course Die Hard, and Professor Snape. Sadly, this icon was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, which he kept a secret outside of his small group of close friends. So when he had a minor stroke and died, it came as quite a shock. People placed tributes to Rickman at King's Cross, where nine and three quarters would have been. So sweet. He was 69. I remember when that happened. That was really sad. Yeah, definitely. Rob Knox. Most people may not know by that name, but Harry Potter fans will know him as the ice cream slurping student Marcus Belby in The Half-Blood Prince. Even though his character did not appear in the next book, Rob was scheduled to be in the next movie. But tragedy struck before filming began. On May 24, 2008, he was at a pub with his younger brother in London. A man came into the pub with knives yelling for a fight. He went after Rob's younger brother, but Rob stepped in defending him. He was stabbed four times and died later that day. He was only 18 years old. My gosh. His killer, Carl Bishop, was sentenced to life in prison. At the premiere of The Half-Blood Prince, the cast members all wore white ribbons to pay tribute to Rob and to bring awareness to knife violence that was prevalent in London at that time. Oh my goodness, that's terrible. Yeah. And there was one more, and this also felt like a surprise, Luke Perry, most well-known as Dylan on 90210. He did other things after that, of course, but I knew and loved him from his role as Archie Andrews' father on Riverdale. He suffered a major heart attack and was hospitalized for five days. Sadly, he died on March 4, 2019. He was 52. The writers of Riverdale did a beautiful job of writing the death of his character, Mr. Andrews, which also included a cameo by Shannon Doherty. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. Robin Williams is one that always gets me. Oh, yeah. Just because he seemed like, first of all, just like the nicest guy. And I've only ever heard really nice things about him from people yep. who've met him or worked with him. He was so talented. He was oh, so, yeah. so, so talented. And then there's something so sad about someone who comes across as so funny. And then you learn they have such deep, deep pain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That yeah. made it even more sad because on the surface... He's Mr. Happy Fun Guy. Right. And to know he was devastated inside. Right. I don't know. It just makes it more sad to me. I I completely agree. I remember where I was when I heard it. And my boyfriend and I were actually going out for like a nice romantic dinner. And it just put a damper on the whole night. I was just heartbroken. Oh, yeah. You know, I grew up watching Mork and Mindy and everything that he did and loved him. Still love him. Me too. He's so talented. And I remember the first time I saw him in a serious role. I was blown away because up until that point, I'd only ever seen him in funny stuff. Right. I can't remember that he plays a bad guy and it's a movie about... Oh, about uh, film. Yes. What yes. is that called? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, it's a good one. Yeah. Polar... I don't remember. But m- one of my favorite movies is What Dreams May Come. Mm-hmm. He's amazing in that. And he's Dead Poet Society. Yeah, he's just oh, so good. He's so good. Yeah. Heath Ledger. Oh my gosh, yes. I was going to marry him. Um... <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but like celebrities or musical artists, because you grew up watching their stuff, you listen to their stuff, you feel like they're kind of a part of your life. Right. And then you hear that they're gone, and it's just, 
It's really sad. I remember when John Travolta's son, Jet, died. What was his wife's name? Oh, my goodness. She just died this last year. Kelly Preston? Yes. She's the most beautiful woman. I love John Travolta. They seem like the sweetest family. And if you had asked me the day before, would you like to trade places with Kelly Preston? I would have absolutely. They're rich. They're famous. They're beautiful. They've got the life. Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember when that happened, I remember thinking, if you ask me now if I would trade places with them, never. They're not immune to pain and, you know, having money and having fame and having all those things really, truly doesn't buy you happiness. Right. You still, you know, experience everything normal people do. Yeah, celebrities are people too. Right. I just remember that one. I guess I was just at a time in my life where it really woke me up to being like, you know what? Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for the life you have. Because everybody has pain. You know, now his wife has passed. um, And she was so young. Well, you didn't do a good job of bringing me up, Paula. Sorry. (laughs) Hug your loved ones. Tell them you love them. I know. I know. My goodness. Never know what tomorrow holds. That's true. Do the best you can with what you can and be at peace. Absolutely. Well, something that is fun and exciting is last Friday we released our trailer. Yes, we did. For our show. So if you haven't checked that out, go on over to YouTube at Dolls and Doom Podcast or go to our social media or Google us. I'm sure we'll pop up. We're out there. We promise. We are. (laughs) Uh, We have a cute little 90-second trailer for our channel, and we just had a blast shooting it. And thank you so much to Chuck Johnson for helping us with that. He's amazing. Thank you, listeners, for writing in. Thank you for your suggestions. They really do mean a lot to us. We've gotten several, so we're going to be working on those. Yes, thank you so much for reaching out. We love it. We do. It makes our day. We might be working on some special Dolls and Doom-themed merch. Um, Some exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. Absolutely. All right, well, we hope to bring you a new episode every single Friday. Keep listening, subscribe, hit like, and leave a comment. Absolutely. We sure do appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.